And, you know, you think as we've gone through so far the part of Luke that we've done focuses on uh, Christ. Focuses on Christ all the way through Luke, doesn't it? And that's what Luke really emphasizes. It's doing that today. This time it's like, uh, what kind of people does God use in ministry? What kind of people does Jesus use in ministry? And, you know, you think, okay, what kind of pattern does He have that He brings them in to serve with Him? And really, He doesn't have a pattern in the sense that Jesus uses all kinds of people. And you've noticed that through, uh, of course, throughout the Gospels. There are fishermen that He uses. Of course, He uses a tax collector. He uses a rebel. He uses all sorts of different people. There are extroverted people, introverted people. There are poor people. There are rich people. And uh, He uses men and He uses women. And that's really what we're going to be focusing on today as uh, He definitely used the apostles, but there were many others who were not only not just a, they were not apostles, but they were other ministers with him. Uh, there would be other men, but we also notice there are women in this ministry that play a significant part. And uh, just as we have here, we have many women that serve just key roles in this church that they people probably wouldn't even know or recognize, or they do recognize. And uh, that's just because that's the way it works. Uh, are you in the ministry? Somebody would say, "Oh no, I'm I'm not in the ministry. I you know I yeah I join the church. You know I'm part of the church, but I'm no minister." And then we get corrected by that because um, just because that's not a full-time thing or you don't necessarily speak or preach or whatever, um, you know, you don't earn your living by the ministry, you're still accountable to God. All of us are of the ministry that He's given every one of us. Everyone is dealing with the ministry to uh, Jesus Christ. And... We don't want to forget that. We're accountable to God, what He has given. Uh, You think of it as a kind of a... Let's say there's someone who is a wealthy businessman. And he has several franchises. And he comes up to you and offers a franchise. And you say, okay, sure. You take it. And of course, he's gone for some time. He comes back to see how things are going on in the business. And he uh, looks at the door and there's no lights there. There's nobody there. Matter of fact, there's all sorts of cobwebs over the door and over the windows. And it looks like nobody's been there for a while. So he starts seeking you out. He tries to find out where you're at. He finally finds out. And he uh, says, hey, I I went to the franchise and went to the building that, that there really wasn't anybody there. Didn't look like there's been anybody around there for a while. And, and you say, well, you know what? To be honest, I'm not so sure how it's going lately. Um, you know, I've been pretty busy. A lot of different things that I've been doing. And actually, uh, you know, the kids are in basketball. And they're in baseball. They're in soccer. You know, they do different things. And uh, there's just some weekends where I just have to kind of take off for a while and just go be by myself and... Uh, you know, there are just some things that just come up that I just can't be around. It's not really high on the priority list. 
it's it's not my biggest thing this franchise is you know i you know i dabble in it a little bit it's fine but i don't want to put my life into it you know it's it's a nice hobby you know and whenever i can do it i i do it um that would mean ministry if you revert that to that coming from the franchise to ministry if we were to be like that it would be like well ministry isn't very high on the list is it Matter of fact, it's way down below everything else. And uh, what we'll be looking at today, again, is uh, people that devote themselves full-time as far as a way of thinking. It may not be a full-time ministry the way that we think of today, but uh, it's uh, the, the passage that we're looking at today is like a, a window shade passage. You could take those windows there, you know, we could close them, it could be kind of dark in here. Uh, most of Scripture is really like the window shades are up. And you see clearly, I mean, there are particular doctrines that keep popping up all over the Bible. They're just there everywhere. But when you deal with the passage that where we're at today, it's kind of like the shades are down, and all of a sudden they go up, and they quickly come right back down. Because you don't see a lot about like women being in ministry and uh, women playing such a key role, or anybody for that matter. It's usually, you know, we see Jesus and the apostles. And what we say is, whenever we've looked at this passage, what did I just see? You know, it was there, and then it kind of jumped out at you and reveals something. You know, it's not like a major theme throughout the Bible. But so in Luke 8, here, first three verses, the, the window shade goes up. We see the ministry here that's involved and, and the people that are in the story. And you think about the woman that was in the previous story that was the, um, she was an immoral woman. And there she was, she was kissing the feet of Jesus. Her sins had been forgiven. And so we bounce off of that one right into chapter 8, which is very similar. We see what happens when uh, people are like that. It's not just a one-shot thing, but it's the rest of your lives devoted to, to Christ. She was so devoted, wasn't, wasn't she, as we looked at that, uh, that lady. Whenever you find out that Jesus loves you so much that He did what He did for us, dying on the cross for our sins, that when we really realize that, we too love Him so much, don't we? Because of the love that He gives us to give it back to Him. Those who have experienced the Savior's mercy and grace and love, when you experience that, you have a privilege of serving Him out of love. Not a, oh, I guess I have to. But it's something because you want to and it comes from Him. So we we look at this section today. We'll read the first three verses and... Why don't we stand for a moment and stretch our legs. Turn to uh, Luke 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, He began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with Him, and also some women who had been healed of all evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. That is the Word of God. Let's pray.
Father, thank You for this Word. May we be very reticent of what ministry is and the, the great privilege and honor that You have given us all to serve alongside Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, being empowered. Lord, it, it is an amazing thing to know that You want us, even though You don't need us to serve You, You want us to be a part of Your great work. Thank You, Lord. Help us to be instilled with that thought as we go through our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So, we uh, we pick it up here at verse 1. And uh, it's just coming right off of that uh, section where we saw the lady and her sins had been forgiven. And we see that Jesus Christ is the one who saves her. She believed Him. And it was that faith in believing Him that that saves. It was a saving faith that He had granted and the repentance of the sinful life that she lived. And now she wanted to walk the way of Christ. What a dramatic change. If you're a Christian, that has happened to you. Some in different ways. Every, everybody in different ways. But it definitely is something that you don't forget when you have been changed. So we see now that Jesus continues on with His ministry and it says soon afterwards, and the soon afterwards is what we just talked about. The, uh, the story of the, uh, the, the woman anointing Jesus' feet. So we don't know when that was. You know, was it like a day later? Was it a few hours later? We don't know for sure. It's you know, it could have been within a week, two weeks. But at any rate, Luke is bringing forth something here that is astounding to him, and it really is at the forefront of his mind. You know, he starts talking about what he's already talked about. Jesus is going everywhere. He's going from city to city, village to village, all over Galilee. And he is bringing forth the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he does. The apostles, of course, are with him. We know the throngs, the crowds are following him, and disciples, people following constantly. And uh, we know that uh, that woman who was anointing him, anointing his feet, we don't know whether she is in this crowd or not. Some people say that she is Mary Magdalene. But we have no proof of that whatsoever. We don't know. And and because her name is not even mentioned in the previous chapter, it's probably not her here, but she could have been traveling in this. But uh, what matters here is that um, she is not the only woman who loved and adored Jesus. We see there are many, and not only women, but men too, of course. But three are actually mentioned here. Three women mentioned by name. And then there are many others. So he goes throughout the cities, the villages. He did most of his ministry in Galilee. And so that's good to remember because as we've gone through Luke, you've basically seen his ministry in Galilee and you'll continue to see it for a while. And then we'll see the Jerusalem. You'd think, okay, wouldn't he go to the temple and to the places where religion is stand out? Wouldn't he go to the capital and just stay there and do that? No, he goes to little villages. He goes to places that are out of the way. And people still follow him and he preaches the gospel to everybody. 
He's really given a small sphere. Even though he's going from city to city and village to village, you know, it's really in a small area. You know, Israel is not very big at all anyway. And, you know, it would really only take so much for him to go south or up north and cover a pretty good area in a matter of days or weeks, uh, depending on how long he'd stay at a place. But... uh, He's in a small sphere. He's not really going to other nations. You know, the apostles took it everywhere, didn't they? They took it to the rest of the world. They they took it to the the Gentiles and and in every known place that they know of, at least. You know, it spread out even to Europe that we see in the Book of Acts. You see it go forth. But Jesus didn't go there. He didn't go where they did. He stayed pretty well in a close area, different towns. But uh, basically, that's what he's doing ministering there. And he's doing his father's business. And that's the way it is with us. We basically have a little sphere of each one of us, of what we do and how we do it, where it's at. And it may not seem like much, but it is. It's a whole lot. Because it's not by accident. You live where you live. You work where you work. You, you just do what you do. The neighbors that you have and then the family that you have and then the church family and all those things. You know, God has designed in, by His providence. And so we're a part of that doing the Father's business. And so where you're at is at an important place. I think so. It doesn't seem like it. You know, it's just a little bitty small sphere. Well, Jesus didn't cover the world when he walked around, did he? He uh, just had that, basically that area, and once in a while he'd go to an area of Jerusalem. What is he doing? It says here, um, proclaiming, preaching. Let's get the word proclaiming. What is he doing? He's proclaiming. What is proclaiming there? Well, the word is caruso. And uh, you guys have probably heard of that word before. Uh, I often think of the t-shirts, I've mentioned that quite a bit, called Caruso um, down in Arkansas. And they had the most popular t-shirt out for many, many years. And of course they had just uh, tons of different little catchphrases and things that were, you know, people like to buy new shirts and wherever they're going for the weekend, kind of wear a a new Christian t-shirt. That's what they did. It was really meant to preach. Caruso, the company, meant to preach. So they would give Bible verses or whatever on their t-shirt. It means to herald, uh, to announce to uh, a people, to announce to a people or whatever part of the world that they're going that the king is coming. They would announce that. They, uh, They would never make up their own message. A herald, all he would do was give the message of the king. That's what we want to do. The, I don't have any message that's new, that's different from here, and if it be, then strike me down, because that's not what we're here for. We're to hear the message of the King. And, uh, you know, that's we are to announce it. And as we go about even our everyday life, to get the opportunity to announce that, that message from the King, just relay what the King said. So that's Harold. That's... Uh, um, Caruso, that's to proclaim. So that's what he did, didn't he? He proclaimed the good news. We'll get to that in a moment. Another thing that he did was to uh, preach. He proclaimed and preached. The word there is euangelizo. Uh, euangelizo. You is good. Angelizo or angel. 
means messenger, really. So it's good message. And we get our word today called the good news or the gospel. So he, what did he do? He proclaimed, he announced the message, and he preached the message, gave the good news of the gospel. And uh, that was about Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is King. And He would reign on earth and He would suppress all unrighteousness. That's good news, isn't it? And that He, at the heart of His message, is His Lordship and His right to rule over His kingdom. And how do people get into that kingdom? Well, they recognize their sin. They recognize their need for the King and for Him to rule over their lives. That's the simple way to put it. Of course, he had much depth in his message, but the good news is that you can be forgiven from your sin. And so therefore, as we have him, he takes reign over our lives, starts stripping away the things of the world in our lives, right? And the flesh and the devil. So we go into what was he preaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We've uh, mentioned that several times through Luke. The kingdom of God is the sphere, the realm of God, the realm of heaven, the realm of Christ. It's where God rules and reigns. And there is a present tense where we have that spiritual right now, where we are in God's kingdom. We've been put into that because He brought us in, right? He saved us and we're now part of His people. There is a future tense in where Christ will come back where He will literally rule and reign. Don't you look forward to that, right? That's even better where we can see Him and be around Him and things come to fulfillment in a much bigger way. Everything's built around the Lordship of Christ. He is Lord, and that's what Christ was specifically uh, preaching. That's His specific content. That He has right, He has the rule of the people. And they are to submit to Him. So, the people have to know that they rebelled against the King. The King came here. He died for them, for rebellious sinners. And He rose again. That sacrificial death on the cross paid for our sins, and so we trust in Him. And when we trust, it means to submit. So that is the idea of proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Let's go to John 18.36. Let's look at this uh, these terms. By the way, sometimes you'll see the kingdom of God. Sometimes you'll see the kingdom of heaven. What are they? Are they different? Some people say, well, those are two different terms and they're two different meanings. But if we look at Scripture, we'll see that really they are one and the same. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. John 18.36 Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. He's saying my kingdom is not in the physical realm. That's what people wanted Him to be, right? The king of this world, to take over the Roman rule. It's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. We'd be battling. It'd be combat. We'd be trying to take over the world physically so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. It's a spiritual aspect. 
It's where God rules and reigns. We know that He's ruling and reigning. Now physically, it may not look like it right now. And we know that the devil has his way, but it's still only allowed by God to do that. Because still God's rule will happen. We know in the... uh, in the prayer it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in another sense, His will is not being done here, is it? Because of all the sin and it's running rampant. We can identify with that today, can't we? All the things that's going on. But our prayer is that one day there will be no sin at all not amongst us or anywhere else. Don't you look forward to that day? Of course we do. That is the ultimate kingdom. But we're in that now. Now look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And here is Jesus beginning His ministry right from His outset. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. It's here. The kingdom is here. If you repent, if you trust in me and follow me, you are part of that kingdom. Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24. Jesus said to His disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. Matter of fact, it's it's impossible. That's really what it comes down to. We can't on our own enter that. Not in our depravity. It's going to take God to awaken us, isn't it? And to bring us to Him. But what's the emphasis here? The kingdom of heaven. At verse 24 now, Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's impossible, isn't it? Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What was it at the end of verse 23? Kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, we find out in verse 24. Actually, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's the same thing. Heaven, when we think of heaven, what do we think of? We think of God. That's the realm where God lives, right? The third heaven. You know, we desire to live there, don't we? But so there he says, uh, by the way, we'll finish that little parable. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? You're talking about it's it's what? A camel going through the eye of a needle? And that's more possible for that to happen than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom or a poor man or anybody. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Absolutely. Because He rules and reigns and He can do everything, anything that He wants. We know that. With God, it's impossible. It's possible. It's through God that we're saved. It's dealing with salvation here, isn't it? As He really puts forth, so the kingdom of God has a lot to do with one being saved in the, in the very kingdom of God. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 19. Well, uh, we just read that, 25. Acts 1.3 is where we want to go. 
disciples were wondering after Jesus was crucified and then arose, and then he was out ministering for those, what, the 40 days? Verse 2 says, Until the day after he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. He gave them truths of what the kingdom of God is. Salvation. You get salvation all the way through the apostles and it's broken down. Uh, Apostle Paul gives great doctrines and rich doctrines. Jesus speaking some of these things here and he, he says that's what He did even before He ascended into the heavens. He preached the kingdom of God to them. Look in Mark 1.15. Uh, verse 14, John the Baptist, taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, the good news of God, right? And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. That's what our message is, folks. For lost sinners to believe the good news. That's too simple, isn't it? That's what Jesus did when He went about going from city to city, village to village, out in the countryside. That's what He preached. He gave depth to all of those. And of course, gives parables and stories. Miracles were happening. Luke 9, 61-62. Here He's talking about the cost of discipleship or the cost of entering the kingdom of God. Did you know it's a cost? Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, once you start, you're your cost is this. You're giving up everything and you're saying, Lord, You're mine. You are Lord. You do everything that You want to in my life. Is that what you said when you became a Christian? But here he says, those ones who start thinking about, I've got other things to tend to. That's not at the forefront of my life. I've got my own life to live here. Well, that's not looking for what we're heading to and what we are to be doing, right? So this one guy looks back. He's not fit for the kingdom of God. It's like saying, this is not that important. I've got other things that are more important. And Jesus says, you're not of the kingdom of God. Wow. So those are the kind of things that we run into when we see kingdom of God. I think uh, it is uh, dominating all through the Gospels, isn't it? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. You have entered it if you are a Christian. So, um, we go to number two. By the way, I think I only have two points today, right? (laughs) Well, that was dealing with, with Jesus right there. Jesus is at the heart of the Gospel of the Kingdom, isn't He? 
as he preaches the kingdom, we see that he is the king of the kingdom. And he is proclaiming and preaching this good news from it. It's about him. That's really what our ministry is. It's about him. Is it about us? No. I'm glad that we're a part of it, but it's really about him. That's who we are here to lift up today and every day, right? The second one is is that he could have done this by himself. He didn't need anybody to go along with him. Did he need the apostles? Sometimes I'm sure in his humanist could have said, and he did say, Oh ye of little faith. Why don't you guys get it? It takes all of us a long time to get it. We're working on it, aren't we? It'll take the rest of our lives to get it. But really we have it. It's it's Christ. But we know that it says here in our Luke passage that the apostles are with him. At the end of verse one, the twelve were with him. Okay? That's easy. So he's not doing it by himself, is he? The twelve are with him. Um, they are ordinary men. And we have seen that and we'll continue to see it all the way up till the time that the Holy Spirit comes in and fills their lives. They are ordinary men stumbling and bumbling around, but they know that this Jesus, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. I just can't put it all together what that really all means. But He will show them as time goes on. He's showing them now. They never forgot these things. Um, Here's what those 12 ordinary men did. They deposited to other men and women who also took it and deposited those truths to others who also in turn deposited to others. You know what? That's what it took generation after generation to get to us. Now, I think it's a miraculous work by God that we would still have His Word and every bit of it right here. And unadulterated. Unpolluted. In its very accuracy, the way that God intended it. And we have that message. And the church has been here for those 2,000 years since Christ ascended, right? Those apostles took that truth out. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is how it got here, and this is how it continues. And we are a part of it. Because if we didn't say anything about it, humanly, it could stop, couldn't it? What if nobody ever said anything else, had their Bibles, and after a generation or two, what would happen with that truth? That would be it. It stopped. Like everything else has down through the years. People following certain people and then boom, it just goes out. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, The things, Timothy, Paul told Paul's saying to Timothy, things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There you go. That is the mandate. That's what we've been given. If we don't continue it on, and when I say we, the whole body of Christ throughout the universe, the people in this country, the people in this city, 
people in this church right here. If we don't continue it on, how are they going to believe if there's not one preaching that? Right? Romans 10 says that. How are they going to believe without a preacher? And it's the word, it's the word about the Messiah, is that they need to hear that. Well, it was given to me at a very young age, and I thank the Lord for my parents, thank the Lord for the church that I grew up in, thank the Lord for all the providential things through my life, and then even through my rebellious years, and uh, then how He just brings us through uh, all of our lives. But it started with somebody telling me truths. We have to hear that word, don't we? That's how precious it is. What's amazing to me is that He uses us to do that. (laughs) He didn't need to do that, but that's what He has chosen. He has chosen us. He chose the apostles. Remember the apostles? Remember how they started out? You know, we make fun of them. But I will tell you that we are in the same boat there with them. Anyway, here is what is so interesting in Luke 8. That and I first read this, I go, what do I do with this? i got three verses, and then it goes to the parable of the soils. Boy, okay, I'm going to go through these three verses and get right on into the parable. And I'm going, well then, these two don't seem to go together, and they, they kind of do, you could force it, you know. But one comes after another, and it's like, Luke wanted to tell, okay, here's what's going on. As Jesus starts telling some parables, he's going to the soils. He's going to do the parable of the lamp. Then the storm is stilled, and demons are cast into the into the swine. A woman is healed. Jairus' daughter is raised. Those are all the things that's in chapter eight. And he'll start off with that parable of the soils. But you have three verses, and when, whenever I'm reading, sometimes I tend to just kind of gloss over things and move on. Well, we're not allowed to do that today. Because because I thought, oh my, I can probably do this in about two minutes. Three minutes. <laughs> Ten minutes. And then we're done. Well, here we are. We, uh, we still have a ways to go here in this text. <laughs> and we have a few minutes left. So, what do we do with this? Well, Luke was impressed. Jesus doing what He's doing. He's proclaiming. He's preaching. The twelve are with him. Yep, yep, yep. How about all those crowds and everything? And then he says something that's very profound. And to us, it wouldn't be a big deal, especially because of our culture and because we've read through this and we know about this. And also, did you get that? Also, it's kind of put into the English there, but it's it's being emphasized. Also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses starts naming them. And also some women. What's the big deal? Well, you have to understand, this is kind of scandalous. Because Jesus and the apostles, who are men, are having women involved in their traveling ministry as they go from town to town, village to village. A woman traveling around, Jesus with His men. No doubt, tongues would be wagging on that one. Because that's the way the culture was at that time. And so, when you have this, it's like, boy, the response that these women have to Jesus, to us, would there be any other way? No. 
This is how they respond. And we've seen the way that the woman last week that we looked at, uh, who was forgiven, this immoral woman. And so, you think of the women back at that time, and, and really, they were not to be seen, and not to be heard. Uh, as far as Jewish texts were at that time, and one leader rejoiced that the fact that he was not a pagan, and that he was not unlearned, and not a woman. <laughs> That's how men, for the most part, looked at women. At the same time, Jesus did not allow the culture to dictate what he taught and what was a part of his message and what is really the message from God. Luke pinpoints something. He says, okay, uh, the women, what, what, what women were they? So somehow, you know, as he's gathering information, he picks out three or somebody had, had told him about these, these women. Matter of fact, it's right at the forefront of this, right at the step we already looked at last week with that woman then. Could it be this woman here that's Mary Magdalene or one of them? Could be, don't want to force it. Matter of fact, I don't even want to really have to suggest that that has to be Mary Magdalene. Because a lot of people think Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. We're not giving given any information on that at all. Possibly, but probably not. We are given some other information that she had evil spirits. Seven demons. So we're given that information. By the way, when you think of our culture today, it kind of goes to the other extreme in a way. Um, attempts to break down all distinctions between male and female. Whether it has to do with sexual issues or whether it just has to do family-wise, it's being broken down. Seems like the world wants it where you don't have a, a regular mom and dad and children in the family. That's biblical. That's what God ordained from the very outset. Right in Genesis we see that. But today, our culture tries to break down the distinctions between the genders. And we as Christians are not to allow that kind of thought into our minds and, and to allow culture to dictate doctrine. What we know to be true, there is male and female. Now, there, uh, if you look in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, you see a spiritual aspect here as far as salvation is concerned. And so we want to interpret that right. And really, this comes from God. And of course, Jesus was the liberator. He is the liberator. Remember women's lib? When did that start? Was that the 60s, 70s? Women's lib. See all the signs? And of course, you know, there were maybe some good things that were involved in that, but there were a lot of bad things about that kind of liberation. But here is the true biblical liberation. Verse 28 of chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Are there Jews and Greeks today? Well, of course. But as far as salvation is concerned, we don't have to divide those up. They are God's people. Uh, there is neither slave nor free man. They had slavery. They still had it 
even at the time of the apostles, time of Jesus. But as far as a Christian, you're no longer looked as one less than. You're considered to be equal with everybody else. There's e- there's neither male nor female. Now, if you took that literally, in that that is, see, we're we're right there. Paul is saying, we there are no there's no men, there's no females, there's no men, there's no women. That obviously is a uh, a direct uh, misunderstanding, because there are males, females. Literally. But in the kingdom of God, they are equal. They have different roles that they serve, but at the same time, they are equal. And so that's the idea. That is women's liberation that was given by God. That's a good thing. That frees women from being below men and to be considered, hey, listen, you only speak whenever I tell you to speak. And... Of course, that uh, that kind of domination is, has no place in God's kingdom at all, does it? So we're not to allow culture to dictate what we know to be truth. There's a brainwashing going on out there in the world, isn't it? And it comes to be... It finally winds up in politics. Politically correct. And it's like, what does this have to do with true politics? Why are they bringing all these sexual matters and... Uh, whatever else that comes along that has nothing to do with what righteousness and unrighteousness is, what truth is and what whatever truth they want to make it, right? So, um, this is what Jesus did. Centuries have, have passed since Jesus walked on the earth and it's it's hard for us today to appreciate how revolutionary Luke's focus is here when he says this. The twelve were with him, of course. And by the way, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, and they said, oh, I'm going to tell you who they are. The the idea is he's saying something here pretty shocking. Because in the world, this really wasn't that popular. Some wealthy women might have supported certain kind of ministries and religious figures and such. In the ancient times, we get that from Josephus. So we know that you know women did have a little bit of a part, a role to play in certain things. There were the wealthy women that would be limited in what they would do. But uh, this passage is very unique. As he just states this and gives us a couple of verses to go on, then boom, he starts his ministry. Luke really puts this forth. I think that's fascinating. And what has Luke done already? Well, he's spoken about Mary, who happens to be the mother of Jesus. Then Elizabeth, uh, of course you think of John the Baptist that she gave birth to. How about Anna, uh, the prophetess? That's a good name, isn't it? I think there's somebody in here with the name Anna. Of prophetess. Look, look what key role she played. Uh, Martha and Mary. You know, of course, you've got um, a crippled woman. You've got a woman with a lost coin. Uh, that parable, uh, the parable of the woman and, and the judge. You have Jesus going to the Samaritan woman, speaking to her which most men or Pharisees certainly would have not talked to her. They wouldn't have been in the area, first of all, at that well, and letting her give you water. Because she's a pagan, and she is uh, 
a woman. That uh, definitely goes against the grain. And uh, that's what Jesus does. He gives equal access to the kingdom of God to women. That would have been outrageous to say this here. Now, was that to say that the Jews didn't believe women would be in heaven? No, it's not saying that. But as far as this side here, they're just they don't play a big role here. Um, they are co-heirs in the grace of God. Look in First Peter chapter three, verse seven. First Peter three, verse seven. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I think he's bringing forth equality even though they have different roles to play in the church. They have different ways that they are made It's obvious they're made to be women. Men are made to be men. They do what their gender does. Our world today, especially I was watching this uh, uh, commercial last night and it's dealing with women fighting each other. And they come on, uh, you know, each one showing, you know, they're supposed to be gorgeous women at the same time. They, They fight and try to almost like kill each other. It's like going back to the Roman times. Where you see women riding on on horses or even bare chested with spears, and, and you're going something wrong about that. Well, as I saw this picture, I go, my, you know, is this what God intended for women to do to be fighting each other? I hope I'm not offending anybody on this, but that's not part of the kingdom of God. What is that representing? The depravity of the way that humans think. What is the world thinking? Well, everything that is the opposite of what you believe. Don't be surprised when you see and hear the things that the world is saying, whether it be politically or whether it be uh, you know, the gender things that they have. Uh, women are supposed to be as strong as men and, and they're supposed to have muscles out to here. and That is happening. But is that what God has designed? I think it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing here that they were made to be, in a weaker sense, to be taken care of, to be, as in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, of course in verse 25, love your wives, Christ loved the church, gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Of course, that's the idea. And of course, in verse 29, it says, it talks about nourishing and cherishing, just as Christ also does the church. So that's the idea. It's not that they're not to be strong or they can't move things. You know, don't, don't, don't take that too far, what I'm saying that. But I'm saying that there, there's a reason why men have always done the jobs that they've done and the women do their things. If they get outside their role, they wind up having attention that is put on them that was never intended. 
and uh, the way that emotions are put into a woman that is not exactly the same as is put in a man. They're different. They have different roles to play out. But yet in Christianity and salvation, they're the same. So we, we move from there and we see these women that are grateful for the mercy and grace and love that has been extended to them by Jesus. Um, they cleaved to Jesus. It was not a woman who sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. They were not women who forsook the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was not a woman who denied the Lord three times like Peter did. But these are women who we see wailing and lamenting and are grieving as Christ is being crucified. They're there. Where did the apostles go? They fled. Interesting. Those women stood by to the last by the cross. Who were the first ones to visit the grave? And we think about it, and who was the who were the first ones, first one even, that saw the risen Lord? Amazing, huh? These were all women. Where did the men go? And that's a question I think today in the church. Where are the men? Where are they at? Although the women play such key roles in the early church, they certainly did. And we see it through the book of Acts. It is biblical for them to be doing ministry. So, he mentions one of them here, and her name is Mary of Magdalene. We've all heard about that lady. And um, what we do get here is that she was um, healed of seven demons. They were cast out of her. Um, Evil spirits can inflict mental and physical infirmities on people. And it can happen today. It does happen. We've heard of some places like whether it be in Haiti, you've heard of some of the pagan idolatry in probably all parts of the world. You don't usually run into demoniacs, you know, that that we find like that's in the tombs. That sometimes we hear of some crazy stuff, and sometimes it makes you wonder, or you're pretty well convinced that guy has a demon. Um, her life had to have been miserable. I mean, she was desperate. There was a horrible affliction that she had. It's not something she enjoyed having. She is possessed by evil spirits. And here it is, we find that she is in this ministry now. She was exercised of demons. And wouldn't that draw somebody to Christ if He did that? He used that. And boy, she came to Christ. She never forgot it. She follows Christ by every word and by every step. And the fact that Jesus would reach into this woman's darkness and doom that it seemed like she had and then be brought into the marvelous light, that is attributed 
to the amazing grace of God. Isn't that incredible? She was delivered. She was not only desperate, but then she became delivered. She was devoted. She was devoted in her finances, in her following, in her faithfulness. Look in John 19.25. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. This is after Christ crucified and such. But standing by the cross of Jesus were His mother and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Followed Him all the way to the cross, stayed there. Didn't flee. Look at Matthew 27, verse 55. That's rather bold. You know, those, those women must have been known by people that they were followers of Christ, just like the apostles were. That, that could mean their own lives too, couldn't it? 27.55 Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to Him. Among them, there are many of them, but here's one. Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. We know the other Mary, another Mary of the mother of Jesus was there. Wow. So a lot of Marys involved there, but we see Mary Magdalene. For all to know that, hey, she's there. What could happen? John 20, verse 11 through 18. Quite significant here. This is his appearance, and it's first to a woman. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to Him, Sir, if you have carried away, carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him and I will take Him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to Him in Hebrew, Rabboni! which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And after that, and that He had said these things to her. She went and told the apostles, Who's the first to see the risen Lord? Mary Magdalene, she goes and tells him. Wow, that's incredible. Well, is it any wonder why she would want to hang around Jesus for the rest of her life? As she got demons taken out of her, 
She had every reason to love Him and serve Him and to follow Him. This is with pure, selfless devotion. Remember the woman last week that we looked at? Pure, selfless devotion as she gave of her costly perfume. Well, there's Mary Magdalene. And then we don't have a lot more here in our passage as we boil down to the end. It's just kind of interesting that now he brings on another name here, and there's not much about her. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Oh, there's a probably a whole lesson in that too, but we'll just say it quickly. Joanna was the wife of a major political figure happens to be Chusa, who is a steward of Herod. Herod, uh, the king, the highest social stratum that was at that time. Uh, he, he worked in the palace. Her husband probably was responsible for managing Herod's personal assets that are vast. And he probably had something to do with managing that. We don't know, but often whenever you were considered a steward of them, it would be something along that lines. We don't know how she came to hear about Christ, and it might be because she had been one of those who was ill, who had been sick, as it said here. Or maybe she had heard about somebody being healed, and so she went, maybe she got healed. You know, It says in our text that some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, maybe she had evil spirit. We, We don't know, but she's there. She's following Christ, supporting Christ and the whole ministry. What about what about Chusa? We don't know. Did he become saved? Does it say? Uh, at any rate, she's out there following Christ. Maybe he permitted her to do that. Um, she also was at the resurrection. Let's go to Luke twenty four ten. So just by a few a couple of verses here, we do get quite a bit of information about her. And here are the ladies were that were present here witnessing this resurrection of Christ. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna. And Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them, others, not named there, were telling these things to the apostles. First Mary Magdalene goes and and she's running there to the apostles to tell them. And then uh, was it uh, Peter and... And John, they go running, and of course, there's the other ladies, and they go and they're telling the apostles, and they're saying, "You're crazy! So, you know, don't I can't believe that." But what a witness! You're a witness of the resurrection. The next one is Susanna, and I'm not going to start singing a little song here with a banjo on my knee, but uh, we don't know anything about Susanna, and that's the reason I said I got to add uh, the little banjo thing in there, and. Uh, that's about all I can say. She didn't play banjo. Because I don't think banjo existed at that time. What do you guys think? Could have. Maybe in some other kind of format. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of uh, hillbilly music going on there. <laughs> okay. That's really all the reference we have there. Uh, uh, we get Joanna, then we get Susanna. And then it says... 
many others were contributing to their support out of their private means. And you go back to the sinful woman. She's probably, maybe she's involved in this. You have support here. You know, a whole nation was to support the priest, for instance, as far as Israel is concerned. Um, but those who have had God's grace given to them, they see that it's necessary to support this ministry. If, if you receive, it means to also give, doesn't it? You receive, you give. You receive, you give. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, it says, All the beasts of the forest were His and His cattle upon a thousand hills. Who's that? The Lord. Jesus doesn't need the money. He doesn't need... Matter of fact, if He wanted to, what could He do with the food? Boom, it's there. (laughs) He didn't do that most of the time. Sometimes in a miraculous way, but... Um, really, there's two reasons why you know you say, well, why did he use these people and getting money to help support this ministry wherever they go? One reason is that he was a man like ourselves. He was human, and to play that out, he lived a life of faith. He believed to do the Father's will. He lived in the Father's providence to do the Father's will. And so He was like all of us, a man. Even though He's God, He emptied Himself in that sense. The other reason is that that He might prove their love and devotion to Him. They get the opportunity to help this ministry go. He tests their regard for Him. And so the love... I guess true love will count it a pleasure to give anything to the object that is loved, and so therefore that's what they did. They, they, you know, uh, they couldn't preach as Jesus preached, and they couldn't heal as Jesus healed, but they could participate in a ministry in so many other ways, and that's what they were doing it many ways, ministering to Christ. What a pattern that we get right out of this right here, right there from the early days. And um, God is pleased to work by means. He uses means. He doesn't have to. He uses people. He uses means. The Word of God. He uses men, women, as missionaries. He uses men and women for the foolishness of taking out the Gospel to all kinds of people in order to spread the Gospel. The foolishness of the gospel, as Paul told the Corinthians. But this proves the faith, the zeal that these ladies had and and all the people that were with them. Did you know that we are fellow workers with Christ? Can you imagine the privilege that you have of all the people in the world and He calls out His people to serve and others. And we do it right with Him in a a fellowship way. Uh, In short, those who minister to Christ are believers. There are two people, ones who don't serve, the others who do serve. Great truth to remember is that we want to make sure that we test ourselves. You know, and 
while we live, we're always on trial. We're tested constantly. You've known that, haven't you? God gives us many tests. Our lives are continually showing who we belong to, uh, whom we serve. Our lives do that. And happy are those who are ministering to Christ out of their own substance. And you remember that Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. Um, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I go, what's that? And it's really, you're, you're, you're giving the gospel of the kingdom to people. And, and of course, they literally need those things. That's another part too. That's all a part of it. Man does not live on bread alone, but certainly starts with physical food and drink and water, as he says there. Every person whose life has been changed is a minister of Christ, servant, servant of the Lord. Jesus changed my life, you can say. Jesus changed my life. You know what He does? He, he can use me to affect others. Um... There's a mindset. It's not just doing, but it's once in a while. But it's thinking that all the time. That's the way that we think. He's given me a privileged ministry to serve here in the world. What a blessing it is. A non-ministering Christian is really a contradiction. Can't go together. Ministry. It's a mindset. Jesus changed our lives. Put us into a body of Christ. And did you know what? There are no spare parts in our physical body. It's just not parts that, oh, I don't need that, I don't need that. In the body of Christ, there are no spare parts. You are significant in Christ's ministry. And that's what we want to think about. Is uh, first of all, I said, you know, we have a lot of women really do a lot of things, a lot of them behind the scenes, and just in this this little church. And of course, it extends out through the rest of the body of Christ. And you see what what Luke wanted to put forth right there to show that women have a place in serving and ministering in the church. I'm glad that's there. Because where would the church be if it weren't for women? We look down through history, the church wouldn't be here. And in this little church here, we have probably more women than men. And have most of the time, it seems like. And they have played such key roles in the Lord using them and keeping this going. And uh, so, you know, it's, I'm just saying, I am thankful for every one of you ladies. And every little thing that you've done, and you say, I don't know what that is. Believe me, it's been huge. It's very important. Men, same thing. And whatever you do, do what the Lord has given you to do. That's, that's really what it is. Just do it. Whenever I was kind of like a stewardship of the Alpha and Omega, I had the former owner tell me this. I said, hey, can you give me, some, give me a handle on how I, I am to do this? I've never ran a store before. And he gave me something so simple, but it has stuck with me to this day. And he says, whatever needs to be done, do it. I go, really? That's it? That's the secret? And believe me, that stuck every day because 
it had to be done, and of course it, it, it can be. It definitely is filtered out, and other people. But you just get it done when you see it. That needs to be done. Don't slam the door like we had started off with, and close business for a while. And the cobwebs start gathering, and there's nothing happening at that business, and you're just taking time off, taking, uh, you know, whatever it is, away from the Lord's business, and um, that is the idea now. I closed this because I thought this was rather fitting. And I didn't make it fit this way at all. The Lord makes things fit pretty good. Or at least, uh, you know, think of this. What, what you guys are doing today, what the church is doing is, of course, there's ministry in, in food and the people had to prepare that or get it or bring it here. That's ministry there because we serve each other and we eat. Then we go out and hand out flyers. Boy, is that ministry. It's telling people that there is a church here. If you guys, if anybody is interested, at least you know that it's here, you know. And uh, that's a step. That's taking a, a big step to do that. And then to go and minister to people who really take joy and have people visiting because many of those people may not ever have visitors at all as you go to a nursing home. And then, boy, when they see the kids, and the, you know, it brings a tremendous joy. And who knows, out of all that, how God's going to use it. So I thought this was rather fitting in what is involved and what is going on today. And, and there might be so many different ways. That that's not the only way we minister. But thank you guys for giving ideas on... Uh, hey, there are things that this church can do, you know, outwardly, visibly, outside the walls. Because sometimes I get so narrow-minded in what I'm doing and thinking here that I just stay inside the walls and can't do that. We have to go out. We're only here for like an hour, a couple hours a week or whatever. And then, you know, we do our daily lives. But um, So I'm thankful for that opportunity that uh, that we have. And, of course, as I say that, I feel like a hypocrite because um, we, we have prior engagements. <laughs> it's the first one I think I've missed. And it's probably kind of good because sometimes there will be times when maybe I can't make it, but everybody else is able to fill in and, and do what that is. So, hey, thank you guys for filling in and, and doing that. And um, let's have a word with the Lord. Father, we thank You for this day that you've given us a special time every day is special we gather around at your feet we want to adore you to love you to serve you we just want to be around you lord and your truth and help us to know you better just as these women these apostles that followed you every day they became very much uh, in not only knowing about you but becoming to know who your person is Help us with that. Help us today as we serve you and, and all the different things that we mention and what we're doing. And may it truly just give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I-